Well, hello and welcome back to the Pastors q and I'm Pastor Ryan. This here is Pastor Jeremy, and we are bringing you a special episode today because instead of answering your questions, we are going to be the ones asking the questions. We have with us a special guest, a guy by the name of Seth Gruber. Seth, thank you so much for coming on and uh, being part of our, our show today. Yeah. And uh, for people who don't know you, I was wondering if you could just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about how did you get into pro-life ministry? Tell us a little bit of your story. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. I have huge respect for pastors that stand on on pro-life. You know, Francis Schaeffer once said that every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says, open with the permission of the Church of Jesus Christ. And it rings true for a lot of people. And the same people who sort of pontificate about how engaged they would have been in Germany in 1940 and how engaged they would have been in America in 1850. How could those rubes have allowed the Holocaust and slavery? What kind of Christianity was that that would sit on the sidelines and say, that's political. We don't talk about that. But the same people who say that typically are completely silent on the genocide of abortion. Uh, And so I have huge respect for pastors that are going to stand on life because I think that if you don't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right. Um, And I would never sit under a pastor who, one, doesn't talk about abortion, rarely talks about abortion, or doesn't equip his congregation, educating them, empowering them to be salt and light in the culture and to end abortion. Um, And so it always encourages my heart as someone who speaks all around the country in churches uh, to hang out with pastors who are sort of on that same battlefront and who God's uh, has sort of gotten a hold of their hearts. So good to be on with you guys. I got involved in this this movement really as a fetus. Um, as an embryo, as a yeah. zygote. So I've been swimming in these waters for a long time. And I know you guys are probably thinking like, what Literally. the heck does that mean? Well, my mother was the director of a pregnancy resource center okay. while pregnant with me. And so I was doing backflips in the womb um, while my mother was doing backflips, bending over backwards to help yeah. women, to save their children, to choose life. And even prior to being pregnant with me and prior to getting married to um, my, my father, my mom was housing pregnant women who didn't have anywhere to live. She would often babysit the now toddlers, the children of the mothers who had chosen life, oh, yeah, but never yeah. had that man in the picture to help. And so sometimes yeah. they just needed a break. And yeah. two, three, four years later, after these children or toddlers now, my mom would help babysit these awesome. kids. So this whole thing about those pro-lifers are only pro-birth. Yeah. They don't yeah. give a rat's bleep once that baby's born. It's just yeah. completely not true. Yeah. Um, and that's just sort of a single picture to represent that. And so that was sort of how I got involved. So I was very involved in the pro-life movement. My mom actually stepped down after I was born because she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, raised my sisters, home schooled us, me through eighth grade, went off to public high school, senior year, did my senior project on abortion. Okay. What are your high school? LA County, Nixon's alma mater, tells me, uh, yeah, you can't pick that topic. Really? Um, wow. Because, you know, we have these, uh, look, oh, look at these senior project guidelines right here. It says um, you can't pick the abortion issue for your senior project. Really? And I said, wow. oh, look right here. This is the, uh, oh, it's the Constitution <laughs> yeah. that you just had me read in government. I got one for you. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of, uh, you know, speaking a little bit hyperbolically, but that's mm-hmm. basically how it went down. And I sort of insinuated that they would have a lawsuit on their hands. Sure. I was 17 as a senior in high school. And they were like, whoa, you know, we didn't expect you to pay attention in the class we're making you take. Yeah, yeah. And so by the time I was a freshman in college, just for funsies, I went back onto my Whittier High School website to look at whether that 
those rules were still up and they had taken down ah, that portion oh, wow. of their website. Ah, ah. Uh, and rightly so. And yeah, rightly yeah. so. And that's that's also just sort of a cool story about what happens when you stand for truth sure, yeah. and meet God where he's already contending because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, when you stare lies in the face and call them lies, um, truth prevails because truth tends to be self-evident. I went off to Westmont College, one of the worst Christian colleges in the entire world, <laughs> uh, in the entire country, and one of the most progressive left mm. Christian universities mm. in the country. I didn't know that when I got there and when I got accepted. And I was raised in a sort of your typical Christian church, like youth group, play dodgeball, you know, hit girls in the face, play a game, get a really mealy mouth, sort of milky sermon, Jesus loves you, repent, uh, and then, you know, have fun serving him. You know, not really a lot of depth, a lot of meat. It's pretty typical, unfortunately, for most youth group experiences. And so um, I didn't, I wasn't really aware of these theological debates within sort of Christian evangelicalism. Mm. Uh, I wasn't aware that there were people who would identify as Christian and pro-choice. I wasn't aware that a Christian college would hire pro-abortion professors, which Westmont College does. So I came Mm. in there just Mm. thinking, it's a Christian college. I mean, their motto is Christus Primatum Tenens, Christ preeminent in all things. I mean, awesome. Like, I didn't think that there would be these divides when I got there over, like, fundamental first tenant type of issues, like marriage. Yeah. Like gender, like whether all humans are persons, whether the unborn is a person and deserves the right to life. It was wild to me. Yeah, that is wild. Um, And so that was sort of how I got involved. As a freshman, I started the first pro-life club at Westmont College. Okay. Well, one of the things about abortion that is, uh, I think, it's daunting to people because it's such a big issue uh, or it seems bigger than them in terms of it's a, uh, I mean, it's uh, the, the Supreme Court decision and everything. With it being such a large and daunting issue, how can an individual make a difference? Yeah, yeah, amen. You know, how, how can an individual uh, do something that would actually change culture, change uh, policy, uh, save life? Yeah, there's there's sort of the the micro local level, right, and then there's sort of the macro political level, um, because politics have consequences. Because policies have consequences, sure. and politicians <laughs> write policy, yeah. and so <clears throat> that macro level is important, and I can talk to that. But <clears throat> I'll, because there is a role actually for the individual in, sure. in the political sphere, but I'll talk to sort of firstly the micro level, like you right now listening to this. Yeah, what do I do? You know, maybe you you don't remain tuned in to sort of the the whirlwind of political news in our country, and you're just like, my heart's broken about abortion. I don't really know what to do. Firstly, I would say just like that first step, like the most simplistic thing ever, is to always speak truth. Never allow a lie to go by unnoticed or unacknowledged, or worse yet, convincing someone else that this lie is in fact the truth. And, you know, this this weekend we're talking a lot about that, about how to do that and how to articulate the pro-life position. But but shortly, life begins at the moment of conception. There is no such thing as a partial human or becoming human. Yeah. It's not partially human. Like, it, uh, it has biological, like, DNA that makes it a human, but it's not really, like, a full human. No, this is anti-scientific nonsense. There is no yeah. such thing. You are a whole human being from the moment of conception. And yeah. any argument one uses to justify abortion can be used to justify killing born people. Yeah. So yeah. that's the short sort of 30-second uh, pitch of the pro-life position. Life begins at the moment of conception holy human, and they're full persons with equal rights and equality because any argument you use to justify abortion can be used to kill you. Yeah. Um, so speak that truth and always speak out. Just in general, everyday conversation. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And be willing to be hated and put your reputation <clears throat> on the line. Sure. You know, be willing to count the cost. This is a genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that 
the longer you stay silent and quiet when you know the truth, I actually believe that this has actual consequences for your soul. Now, again, if you're hearing this, please don't hear me saying like, you suck, you need to do more. Like, please don't hear that. But just know that I actually believe that just as physical atrophy occurs through not using your muscles, I, I, I firmly believe that moral atrophy can occur absolutely, through not yeah. using your voice. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking truth, calling lies lies, and saying, no, that is an evil idea. That is wrong. It offends God, the creator of the universe, and it offends me as someone created in the image of God because your ideas espouse the murder of innocent human beings. Yeah. Speak truth all the time. You know, uh, have you guys read the new book, Live Not By Lies? I'm aware of it, but I haven't read it. Yeah, yeah I've, I've uh, read some of Roger's other stuff, and I heard the podcast with Heidi that she did with. Ron, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. yeah. I missed yeah, that one, but I saw she had him on. But, yeah. um, I mean, the book is very popular right yeah. now, and I think yeah. it's because it's propitious. It, it's coming out mm -hmm. a propitious moment when yeah. he's sort of acknowledging and calling out this rot that's been growing in America that just sort of has increased and sped up tenfold. And that rot are, are bad ideas. And yeah. Bad ideas yeah. rooted in secular humanism, sure. in Gnostic dualism, in Marxism. And he's giving a platform to voices and people who left communist countries to flee to America. Yeah. And now they're saying, I'm recognizing some of the same type of small rot now now that was happening in the country I fleed before it went full-blown communist. Yeah. And so anyways, he, he talks about a, this anti-Polish, uh, anti-communist Polish dissident by the name of Czesla Milos. And, and Czesla Milos talked about this Persian word called Ketman. And this Persian word Ketman was a sort of uh, metaphysical or philosophical strategy that um, individuals would go through in order to um, appear as if they were conforming to Islamic orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. with while inwardly dissenting mm. so they would go through certain rhythms words sure. they'd say or just remaining silent in order to look like they were conforming with the islamic state but inwardly they were dissenting inwardly yeah. they were saying i don't believe in islamic theology and this religion and the, the yeah. demands that it puts on my life i believe this is wrong evil misplaced <clears throat> and untrue but you wouldn't know it you, the only way that that, that many people's anti-communist dissent portrayed itself was in their minds as they told themselves they didn't like what was going on. Sure. But what did that do to end the evil that was happening? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, right, so yeah. for many pro-lifers today, guys, if you're listening to this, many pro-lifers are in the same position, pro-life yeah, Christians. Sense, yeah. The only way that they dissent and resist the evil of our times, which is a million murdered babies every year in America, funded by your tax dollars, and now you're paying for abortions overseas because Biden rescinded the Mexico City policy. Yeah. The only way that they resist that is saying, I'm pro-life, and I talk about it to my other pro-life friends, and yeah. then I think thoughts that are pro-life, but what are you doing to end this? And, and yeah. so what, what Dreher talks about in the book as he, as he explains this, this idea from Czesla Milos and this idea of Ketman is that the longer you portray this character – the sooner you will become the character you portray. So as mm -hmm. long as you continue to go through the role of inwardly dissenting while not outwardly resisting, yeah. you will your soul will eventually decay and yeah. your moral compass will eventually decay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because moral atrophy will occur when you don't practice your voice and your courage and your spine. Yeah. So that's why I would say speak truth. Yeah. Because I think it actually has consequences for you. And who yeah. you want to become yeah. by allowing lies to be passed off as truth. Good. 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 That's awesome. Uh, well, along those lines, you had mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that every um, pro-choice argument can basically be folded in on itself. And so that was sort of a question I had. What are, you know, you do different debates, you talk to different people, obviously engage with a lot of uh, pro-abortion advocates, things like that. So what are some of the most common pro-choice, pro-abortion arguments, and what is the pro-life 
response to some of those more common arguments that uh, that, that people are going to see in everyday life around yeah. the water cooler. Yeah. Uh, what would you say to that? I'd say the most common <clears throat> ones are typically the hard cases, quote unquote, yeah. hard cases. Rape, sure. Incest, sure. So let's like just that. go with two big ones, rape, incest, and yeah. life of the mother. Yeah. Okay. Let me give you the soundbite replies. So if you guys are listening to this and you want to rewind and get, yeah. get that five-second soundbite, you can have it. And then yeah. hopefully that soundbite will trigger the more detailed response for you because yeah. I, I don't want to fire hose people. I have a tendency to do that. And they leave my hour-long sermon and they're like, shocked. Oh. so let me give you soundbite. So rape, right? A woman is raped. How could you force her to have a baby? You don't get to kill Timmy because daddy did something wrong. Yeah, That's, that's your soundbite. Yeah. Children should not be forced to suffer for the crimes of their father. Yeah. There's another soundbite for you. Now, that's that doesn't mean that we're not acknowledging the horrific situation Absolutely, that this woman yeah. is in. And by the way, I support more harsher penalties against rapists. Hopefully I can say this on the show, yeah, but I would support yeah, castrations. Yeah. Um, I would also be willing to entertain the death penalty. Um, but if, I don't know if you guys know this, but rapists don't even get life in prison. If you rape no, a woman, yeah, yeah. you do not get life. So we can acknowledge that horrific situation, support full legal penalties being brought against the rapist, but it's actually not compassionate to kill her baby or tell her that it's okay to kill her baby yeah. because you have, quote unquote, sympathy or empathy for the trauma she was exposed to through a disgusting animal, you know, exercising his sexual appetite. Yeah. Um, that's actually not compassionate to say that. Yeah. And here's why. Abortion is wrong for the same reasons that rape is wrong. Yeah. Because yeah. rape is wrong mm -hmm. because it's unjustified completely unjustified violence yeah. against an innocent human being. Yeah. Why is abortion wrong? Yeah. Completely That's unjustified violence yep. against yep. an innocent human being, yep. except in the case of abortion, the baby's almost always dead. In the case of yeah. rape, yes, some men murder the women they rape, but most rape victims are not murdered. Yeah. So you, one could actually argue abortion is significantly worse, but they're actually wrong for the same reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Secondly, abortion doesn't unrape a woman. Um, and we've seen from studies that women end up um, increasing the likelihood of their suicidal tendencies, uh, substance abuse, and stuff like this, and depression, yeah. um, when they get an abortion after rape. And the women who have chosen to mother the children or give birth to the children that they were impregnated with through rape have never said that they regret keeping the baby. Yeah. Shocker, yeah. guys. Yeah. Everyone who keeps right. their baby regardless of how it was conceived and never says, man, I really wish I aborted you. Yeah. Now, some yeah. women who struggle with suicidal tendencies and alcoholism might say something horrible like that to one of their children at some point, but no woman actually regrets not outlier. aborting her yeah. child, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, Oftentimes, and then, along those lines, I've also heard uh, a lot of testimonies about women who... Um, have have experienced rape and then go on to abort their babies, and they say something along the lines of the abortion was actually worse than the rape. It was yep. it was a greater violation. I've heard many than the rape was, um, yep. and and obviously that comes with tremendous regret, at heaping guilt on top of the guilt that they're already experiencing. Yeah. Whereas choosing to keep the baby, it's amazing to see uh, stories about uh, just God redeeming that situation, Amen. bringing Amen. something beautiful out of something that is so broken, so evil, so wrong. And so that's something that God can yeah. do. No, another thing on that point about when people make the argument and saying, well, what about these hard cases? Well, that's yeah. that's a half huge that. minority. Yeah. Yeah, 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 half a percent of all abortions are occurred under those circumstances. So you're using a very hard yeah. uh, uh, situation to justify that's right. uh, all the other yeah, situations that's right. where that doesn't apply. Yeah, exactly. here's another soundbite. Ask someone who uses the rape circumstance to justify their pro-choice position. Yeah. Ask them, hey, cool, if we set aside the half of a percent, which according to the Guttmacher Institute Planned Parenthood's research branch in 2004 
half of a percent of the annual abortions were the result of rape. So then ask them, hey, if we just set aside the half percent really quick, will you join me to fight to end the 99.5% yeah. of all other abortions? Right. And, and what does every pro-choice yes. say? Yeah, yeah they say <laughs> no. Yeah. So then yeah, here right. you go. I say, then why are you hiding behind rape victims yeah. to make your position look compassionate? Yeah, good, good. Right, yeah. call their bluff. Don't let them get away with that. Yeah. Um, so... And then lastly, if I held up a photo to you of a baby conceived in rape and a baby conceived by two loving parents starting a family, both at 16 weeks of gestation, could you tell me which one was conceived in rape? Sure. And that should, that should sort of tune us into a deeper reality here, which is that at a fundamental level, we know that these are image bearers of God. We yeah. know that these are innocent human beings because our value does not come from the circumstances of our conception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a dangerous road to go down because then you open a door to justify killing all sorts of people sure. um, who were conceived in less than ideal circumstances. Sure. I mean, so then it becomes like, okay, well then Heart what's the line yeah. then? At which point yeah. at, at, at which point it's okay to, to not kill you. It's okay to give yeah. you life because the circumstances won't be so bad that you'll have wished you were killed. Like, where yeah. is that line? As soon as you grant the premise that horrific circumstances and how you entered the world might justify killing you, yeah. uh, we're in dangerous territory now. Yeah, absolutely. So th- that's that's one of the most popular ones, um, and it's <laughs> ridiculous. What about life of the mother? Um, soundbite. It's never medically necessary to perform an abortion to save mom's life. And this is actually one of the most... Hmm. Um, hmm it's one of probably the most deceptive uh, talking points that the pro-choice movement has implanted into the minds of pro-lifers, not to mention the rest of the country. I have pro-life people tell me all the time, I'm pro-life, I'm against abortion, except when the mother's life is on the line. And I'm like, well, yes, we never want a woman to unnecessarily die. We're not going to tell a woman in a life-threatening situation that you have to carry this baby to term whether you die or not. Yeah. But that's sort of the premise they're functioning under is that is that somehow this is common and that like you have yeah. to perform abortions to save mom's life. So here's how you think through this. If the pregnancy is what is causing the risk to the mother's life, which it is, that's why – one would argue she needs an abortion, yeah. not because of some abdominal pain. It's because of the pregnancy. So if the pregnancy is causing the threat to the mother's life, the question becomes, is abortion the only way to end pregnancy? No. You can induce early labor sure. with uh, Pitocin or you can perform a cesarean section. And and for the listeners, you guys need to know that that's actually safer than an abortion. Oh, yeah. So when you're wondering, like, how's the best way to cater towards women's health in high-risk pregnancies, it's actually not to perform an abortion. It's actually to deliver the baby early, either through inducing early labor or performing a C-section. Now, someone might say, yeah, but what if the baby is at, um, you know, you just anticipate these objections. Someone will say, well, what if the baby's at 17 weeks, 20 weeks, they're not going to survive? Okay, right. And if we're forced to deliver that baby early to save mom's life, then we still have to do that. But are we actively killing the baby? See, people have to understand what the definition of abortion is. What is it? The intentional killing of the unborn child. Intent in any moral framework and certainly a legal framework is a very important concept. Intent. You know, you tripped over my foot. You fell off a cliff. I didn't intend that. I stuck out my foot to trip you and you fell over the cliff. Now I murdered you. Sure. But you tripped over my foot either way. Yes, yeah. but you intended something different in yeah. one circumstance, South, right? So intent, obviously we, we get that. What's the intent in delivering a baby early or performing a C-section? It's to save mom's life. We're not actively killing the baby. So even in the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario would be this. If this pregnancy continues, mom will die. <clears throat> we deliver the baby early because if the baby develops any more, mom will die. 
And the stage at which we have to deliver the baby doesn't allow us to save the baby's life after it's born. That would be the worst case scenario, How right? How common is that scenario? Very rare. Would I be very, like, very, yeah. very rare. And so even in that situation, you give baby to mom to have as much time together as possible. Does the baby still die? Yes. But how much more compassionate is that than actively killing the baby, right? Now, there's really just one circumstance left where we know a priori, that means foreknowledge, like beforehand. Mm -hmm. We know beforehand that we can't save both mom and baby. That's called an ectopic pregnancy. You guys know what this is. Maybe your wife has had it. Some of your friends, your wife's friends have had this. It's, It's rare, but it's not entirely it's not like you haven't been met someone. You probably know someone yeah. who's had an ectopic pregnancy. That's when the baby implants in the fallopian tube or outside of the uterus, typically in the fallopian tube. So as, you, as your listeners probably know, babies don't implant in the fallopian tube. They're supposed to implant in the uterus. Yeah. We're all former womb dwellers. We're all former uter- uterus dwellers, right? Well, what happens after implantation? Baby starts to grow. Baby starts to grow. Fallopian tube begins to expand. What happens if left untreated? Fallopian tube bursts. Baby dies. And mom will bleed out internally. And if you don't if you don't have mom at the hospital like immediately, um, mom will die. Mm-hmm. Women die from ruptured ectopic or, or tubal pregnancies um, all the time, fallopian tubes. So, um, in that circumstance, if you don't do anything, how many lives do you lose? Two. So the pro life movement has always said it's better to act to save one life than refuse to act and lose two lives. Sure. But even in that circumstance, did you know it's it's not called an abortion? There's actually different surgical names for the procedure that removes the baby from the fallopian tube. Mm. It's either a salpingectomy or a salpingostomy. Either you create a small incision in the fallopian tube and you remove baby, or you have to remove the entire fallopian tube. Either way, it's not an abortion because you're not intentionally killing the baby. You're intentionally saving the life of the mother. So thanks to medical advancements, we can almost always save the life of both mother and baby. So if you're a mm. woman and you're listening to this, uh, congratulations. Your life is at, is at less of a risk because of pregnancy than any other wim- woman in all of human history. Yeah. Um, by the way, you guys want to know the youngest baby ever born and survived? Sure. 21 weeks, zero days. 21 wow. weeks mm. and zero flipping <laughs> days. Amazing. That baby yeah. was born in, I believe, the summer of 2019 okay. and went home, got home probably like, I think right after this COVID shutdown. So like yeah, early yeah. Do, 2020. Do you remember where that baby was born? Cause we had a real young, uh, real young birth at uh, one of our hospitals here in town at Salmon Creek Legacy. Um, I don't remember where that baby was lines. born, but the baby who broke the record before this baby at 21 yeah. weeks, zero days was baby Ellie, 21 weeks, six days. And mm. baby Ellie's mother was highlighted by President Trump during his State of the Union address in 2020. Okay. Um, Mm. Yes, that's right, in 2020, which was the State of the Union February, I believe. So President Trump, you know, the presidency, they highlight someone in the stands, and this person represents an American success story that we help make happen because I'm a great president. I mean, it's very, like, (laughs) self-congratulatory. You know, presidents across the political (laughs) aisle have been doing it for a long time. But he highlights baby Ellie and her mother, and baby Ellie was born at 21 weeks and six days at St. Luke's Hospital in Kansas City. Okay. Wow. Um, baby's born at St. Luke's Hospital in Kansas City, um, born before 24 weeks, have a 55% survival rate, whereas the nationwide uh, percentage for babies born before 24 weeks is like 13%. Oh, wow. So when you invest time, talent, and resources sure. into saving preemies, you can do it. Yeah, yeah, um, but now right. the record is 21 weeks and zero days. That's ha- oh, that's almost yeah, half yeah, of yeah. the pregnancy. That's Amazing. incredible. So yeah. that's just to make the point that even when a woman's in a very high-risk pregnancy, like her, she could die, typically you can put these women on bed rest, take care of them, love them both, baby yeah. and mother, and get them to that gestational point at which the baby could be delivered early and you can save both good good awesome <clears throat> well um what are some things uh that as you 
look at the pro-life movement. Uh, some things that are discouraging and presently and some things that are encouraging uh, at the moment. Yeah, the, the greatest discouragement within the pro-life movement is the redefinition of pro-life. So have you heard this? I'm not pro-life, I'm whole life. Have you heard things like I this? Heard that, no. I, I, I'm, I'm a consistent life person, <clears throat> uh, womb to tomb. And the, the idea behind this is something all Christians would agree with because life sure. is intrinsic, because human beings are intrinsically valuable because they're image bearers of God. Um, then any attack against the dignity of human beings is attack against their creator. Um, and so Christians in particular who recognize where rights come from and who created us um, have a greater duty than secular humanists yeah. to care for the least among us. That idea is something we would all say yes and amen to. Yeah. But what, what, what this new redefinition of pro-life aims to do is to tell pro-lifers in the pro-life movement that in order to be truly pro-life, for, for, for you to prove your pro-life credentials, you have to fight more than just abortion. You have to engage on all of these life issues because, you know, guys, universal health care and a universal minimum wage of $20, you know, these are life issues too. Gotcha. And so what they end up doing is they conflate, ready, protection of life in the womb with quality of life outside the womb. Okay. In fact, many of these whole lifers, they actually will elevate quality of life outside the womb. And so these whole lifers insist that they are pro-life, but they're pro-life for everyone. And so this redefinition is very dangerous because pro-life means you are opposed to abortion and seek its abolition. If someone asks you, hey, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Nobody actually thinks that they're being asked whether they're for all choices or against all lives. Yeah. Nobody yeah. thinks that. We know what that means when someone yeah. asks you if you're pro-life or pro-choice. Everyone knows, oh, I'm being asked if I'm for or against abortion. Mm -hmm. So these, these woke whole lifers take the term pro-life and say, you actually have to do more than fight abortion. So I'm pro-life for immigrants. I'm pro-life for universal health care. I'm pro-life for low-income families. I'm pro-life at the border. Um, I'm, sure. I'm pro-life in the womb. But what does that actually mean? I mean, tangibly, what am I supposed to do with that? Am I supposed to fight sex trafficking on Monday, universal health care on Tuesday, sure. open borders yeah. on Friday, sex trafficking, poverty, um, orphan foster care system, um, soup kitchens, and then maybe if I have time, I can spend time with my family and fight yeah. abortion on the weekends. I mean, what does this actually mean in real life? Nothing. That's the whole point. Yeah. Is they're trying to water down the meaning of pro-life to make it mean virtually nothing. And young pro-lifers are adopting this redefinition of pro-life because that sounds good. It's like, sure. yeah, I am, I am, I am pro-life from womb to tomb. Like, I do support all lives. Um, and so then they feel like they actually have to do more. But nobody could reasonably do that, especially yeah. when there's other organizations and movements better funded hmm. than the pro-life movement towards those other injustices. And some of them sure. aren't injustices. I mean, universal health care, that actually is unjust. You're just taking away money from others to give it sure. to others and, and then call it compassionate. So that's what the thing I'm most discouraged with. And you're seeing a lot of quote-unquote pro-life leaders and evangelical friends of the pro-life movement cave to this redefinition of pro-life. Yeah, and so often I think you see it as, uh, as really, kind of like you said, it's like a roadblock. It's saying, well, no, you can't actually fight for life in the womb until you've checked all these other boxes. That's right. And so, and really, it's just, a, it's, it's sort of a conversation stopper. Yeah. It's like, no, actually, we can fight for life in the womb. Yeah. And then, sure, if there's some other just causes, we want to fight for those That's too, right. but let's That's let's right. do this as well. And yeah. also throw yeah. it right back in their face. So find someone who yeah. fights sex trafficking or fights yeah. for gun control, which I, I mean, I, I don't think we should have strict gun control laws. We have a, an amendment that protects that right. Um, obviously, red flag laws, if you're mentally just, you know, sure. unstable, yeah. you shouldn't get a gun. I'm very reasonable about that. But, but people who fight for this, ask them, you know, and yeah. especially in this progressive area we're in. I mean, anywhere you turn, someone's going to be yeah. anti 
anti-gun or, or they're going to be, you know, engaging some other social issue. Just ask them, oh my gosh, I thought you were anti-gun. Doesn't that mean you're pro-life because you don't want people to be killed? So tell me, what's the uh, anti-gun movement um, doing about the poor kids at the border? Yeah. And they would be like, well, no, 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 no. We care it's about those issue. lives, but yeah. like we have a narrow minded folk. Like we believe that the more focused we are on one goal, the greater <laughs> will increase the likelihood that we accomplish that goal. So exactly. like I fully support the kids at the border and I don't want them being separated from their families under a policy started by Obama and Biden. But um, we're just going to focus on, on gun control measures. Oh, OK, exactly. And we pro-lifers are just going to focus on ending sure. abortion. So no other movement gets that critique. That's yeah. the point. So yeah, it's it's actually point. just a political cut. Mm -hmm. uh, to silence those that you already don't like or to siphon votes away from the Republican <clears throat> Party under this new redefinition of pro-life. Cool. Um, my greatest encouragement right now would probably be the church. I'm seeing people realize that, wow, um, the country <clears throat> is falling to pieces in front of our very eyes. And maybe we as Christians in the church, maybe we really should seek the good of the city where we've been sent into exile. What, what are some of the most fruitful uh, tactics that people take to that you see happening within the pro-life movement that is um, uh, uh, bearing fruit where minds are being changed where where, where, where ground is being taken yeah where, well um, I mean we, we need to be in the lion's den which is the university campuses we have to be there I mean this is where the worst ideas happen and if you want to know where the country is going to be in 15 years look at college campuses right now sure. they function a little bit like a cultural or philosophical crystal globe and they tell you where the country will be um, so we have to contend there in order to sort of uh, stop this mania um, but I, it's the same answer it's the church being the church mm -hmm. loving their neighbor and the majority of the pro-life movement are religious individuals. Sure. They're people motivated for their love of Christ and their understanding that human beings are image bearers of God. Um, why wouldn't we be outside of these death centers? I mean, it's very reasonable that we would be there. Um, there's only one place in the country, guys, where we know innocent human beings are scheduled to die. Mm. And we have their addresses. We know where they are. You can Google, you can Google it. You can find where children are scheduled to die, where broken families are showing up at such a low point in their life that what have they done? They've actually just, they've actually told themselves that they have to pay a physician to kill their child. Yeah. Whose heart is more ready for the gospel? Yeah. So even from a utilitarian standpoint, like putting aside the child who's scheduled to die, yeah. which is the main concern, let, let's, if we put aside the baby for a second, why wouldn't we be out there for the families mm -hmm. who we want? I mean, this is an evangelistic opportunity. This is the Great Commission. Yeah. But then on top of that, they, they've scheduled their child to be killed. Why wouldn't we be out there using our free speech on public sidewalks to plead with the families? Not to yell and scream and call them baby killers. Don't be a jerk. And that's not effective anyways. That's not loving. Yeah. But saying, ma'am, ma'am, we love you. We're here for you. Our church will support you. What do you need? These people in there, they're not for you. They do not love you. They're taking money to kill your child and telling you that this will help you. Yeah. Look, this is my friend Sally. She had an abortion 20 years ago, and she would love to talk to you. She regrets what she did. She dealt with years of depression because of it. We're here for you. Our church loves you. We will raise that child. Mm. We will throw you a baby shower. We'd love to get to know you. Our church yeah. is here for yeah. you. Why wouldn't we do that? And so my friends at Love Life out of Charlotte, North Carolina, this is what they do. Yeah. It's just the church being the church. They have 150 church partners now in Charlotte. So when someone chooses life, guys, they throw her a baby shower. They get yeah. her a car. They get her diapers for a year. They share Jesus with her. She accepts the gospel. Then she raises and dedicates that baby in the church where the members of that church were outside of the sidewalk on that day mm -hmm. that she had her child scheduled to die. Um, awesome. it, and if we turn from this as a country, it could be that God will have mercy on this country because mm -hmm. God will not bless a people or a land that kills their own 
babies, their own children. Um, and so by contending for life, we're actually contending for the soul of the republic itself. Um, and I just wanted to briefly share this with you in Clark County. There are 17 to 25 abortions per week um, in this county. What that, was that number again? 17 to 25 abortions per okay. week. So that equates to 884 to 1,300 abortions annually in Clark County's neighborhoods. Since 1973, there have been over 50,000 abortions in Clark County. In the last 48 years since abortion was legalized, over 50,000 image bearers have been murdered in this county. That is more than five recognized genocides. That's more than Bosnian, than uh, Latvian, than the Hutus, the Tutsis, all of these combined. It's significantly more. And Clark County has approximately 200 Christian churches. So there are tens of thousands of Christians who worship the greatest unborn child ever, hmm. Jesus. Um, who believe that rights come from him and dignity and value comes from him. And where are they? Yeah. Well, I mean, I got two sitting in front of me, but where's the church? Where are the yeah. pastors, the shepherds who are supposed to protect the flock from the enemy? Yeah. And Satan is using these individuals to break families apart and to actually tear families apart, quite literally, their own children. It's entirely reasonable that we would be outside of yeah. these clinics. And so if, if, if your church or people want to know more about that, go to lovelife.org mm -hmm. forward slash America. I'm an ambassador for Love Life, and their goal is to get a Christian witness outside every abortion clinic in the country, offering the hope of Jesus and the help of the local church. Beautiful. Awesome. Beautiful. That's great. Well, Seth, thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, we yeah. appreciate you. We're looking forward to hearing more from you. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We encourage you to go to the website, uh, check out Seth Gruber, and uh, we'll see you next time.